So if you can find Psalm 132 and put a finger in it, a bookmark in it, or fold the page over or whatever you want to do, because we'll come, I, I think we'll get there, but we're going somewhere else first. This is, this is my New Year message. <laughs> That's as grand as it's going to get. All right, this is the New Year message. Uh, and when you found Psalm 132, will you go to Acts 2? I just want to... I was, I was helped. <laughs> I was really helped in the prayer meeting. If you, who was in the prayer meeting? I can't even remember who was in the prayer meeting. You've got to come to the prayer meetings, guys. It is just... It is mental, yeah. Mental, mental good, though, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Thanks, you've got to qualify these things. So Acts 2, lots of you be familiar with this piece of scripture. No. <laughs> yeah, older people need to know what mental means. Um, it says, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were suddenly all, they were all together <clears throat> and in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, note this, were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they did something. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And uh, <laughs> there's a great crowd gathers. Uh, now, I just want to break in a bit further on. And they kind of, it creates a kind of stir. It says in verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. Isn't it amazing when God moves, it can, not everybody goes, woohoo. Some people are amazed, others are just perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed when God showed up? I have. It's like, what the heck are you doing? They were amazed and they were perplexed, saying, what does this mean? Good question. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine, i.e. they're drunk. So Peter stands up. I don't quite know how he managed to stand up, but he managed it. And raised his voice to address the crowd. And he tries to explain things. And the first thing he says is, these are not drunk as you suppose. Because it's only nine o'clock in the morning, i.e. the bars are not yet open. And I just found a new freedom in the prayer meeting. I just thought, because I am a bit of a drunk in the Holy Spirit, as some of you know, and from time to time I think, oh, this is so inconvenient. I'm trying to lead a church. You know, and they, pray, they love praying for me in the prayer meeting because I get wasted and end up on the floor. And then I can't get out into the meeting and they're all like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and, and you think, you know what, God, maybe, maybe I, should, I should give you know, some of the jobs to other people or maybe I'm not sensible enough to lead a church because I get the Holy Spirit giggles. And as I was in the prayer meeting and I was getting more and more intoxicated, this scripture came to mind. And God said to me, he said, that was apostolic drunkenness. 
the early church was founded on apostolic drunkenness. So all the apostles were gathered, plus a crowd of other people, 120 at most. And what's the first thing Jesus does to his church? He whacks them. Ha ha! <laughs> he, he, he infuses them so super abundantly with the efficacious Holy Spirit. So that sounds nicer than whack, doesn't it? To be infused so fully with the efficacious Holy Spirit that you look drunk to a crowd. That was the initiation into apostolic church leadership for the twelve. <laughs> Isn't that crackers? Who in their right mind would start a movement to change the world with a bunch of drunks? Plan A, get drunk. <laughs> Come on, this is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is right here. This is God's plan. Get the church leaders drunk in the Holy Spirit. First thing. Ooh. Oh. I felt so released. I thought, more Lord. <laughs> more Lord. Just have more of this. This is much the by far the best way to lead a church drunk in the Holy Spirit everything isn't it funny how things that seemed huge suddenly become very small and things that seem very serious become very funny have you noticed that when you're drunk what's happened when I've been on holiday you've gone all super holy on me like well I would never know what it's like to be drunk Andy it's just never happened to me that's not true I know some of you. I know it's not true. And I'm sure you wouldn't have done it as a Christian, like I haven't. <laughs> Bit tipsy at the small group cocktail night. <laughs> but the best cocktail is a Holy Spirit one. And he's pouring it out this morning. Do you want some? Come on, it's thoroughly biblical. To be drunk and be perplexed and perplex people by how intoxicated you are. This is a key to church growth. Have more drunken leaders, and suddenly 3,000 people are added to the church. Woohoo! <laughs> ah, somebody join in. I'm starting to feel lonely now. I'm having a good, I'm having a good time. <laughs> And let's go back to Psalm 132. So I feel thoroughly released to be a drunk in charge of the church. Is that okay with you guys? And I just want to recruit more people, though. I need, we need more recruits. There was at least 120. There's maybe not quite that many in this room right now. There probably was earlier on. It's a good starting point. Isn't it? To change a city. They rocked Jerusalem with drunkenness. <laughs> oh, we've got to change the city. We've got to influence. We've got to reach the poor. We've got, yeah, we've got to do all that. But, man, it can become such a kind of focus and a burden. and a, It's a lot easier to do it when you're intoxicated with him. Hmm. Come, Holy Spirit. I just pray 
for a release. Lord, I just release uh, apostolic drunkenness on us this morning. Lord, we want you to invade our hearts by your spirit. We want to be thoroughly wrapped up in your presence. Oh, yeah, just release it on us right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. All right, another bit of scripture, Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. That is a reference to finding the Ark of the Covenant, which had been lost. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion, has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation. A saint shall ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David, set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, put the crown on his head, shall be resplendent. What a great psalm, eh? David is such a helpful figure for us to look at because he, he's kind of the original Holy Spirit drunk. Um, so he figured out one day he'd got his lute or his guitar or his banjo or whatever he had back then and he was looking after sheep somewhere on the backside of a mountain and he started to worship. Now, in those days, they said that the presence of God existed be and hovered between the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And you had to go through a series of sacrifices, and only a priest once a year could go in to see the presence of God. And so worried were they that, that, that there were bells uh, sewn on the hem of his garment, and they used to tie a rope round his leg. Because if the bells stopped ringing, they feel that fellow figured that he'd been struck down in the presence of God, so they hauled him out with a rope. And only one person in the nation got to do that. David, looking after sheep as a young boy, singing and worshipping, finds that the presence of God shows up on a mountainside because he's worshipping. And so he writes in the Psalms, he says that, that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. How did he know? Because that's what happened to him. And so he comes up with a crazy plan. And he actually does away with, he builds a tabernacle. He desires to build a place for God to dwell permanently with his people. And he's so, he says, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to sleep till I've got a place where God can live with his people where his presence can be manifest. 
And he's so intoxicated and so caught up with the presence of God that, that, that David has a whole history, a whole, a whole lot of language, a whole lot of experience that he talks about his own encounter with God. And what he wants to do is plonk that right in the middle of his nation so, so hundreds of people can experience what he's experiencing. And his experience, I mean, his devotion to God basically led to his national objective which is let's make a place that God's happy to show up and stay. And with that, he, he connected to the eternal desire in the heart of God, which is to find a dwelling place with man. That's always been God's plan. Now, yes, it's great that we could be whisked up into heaven one day, but actually the bigger miracle, the bigger burden of the heart of God is that he would come and live on planet Earth and be tabernacled, be present amongst ordinary humans permanently. That's always been the plan. Right in the Garden of Eden, it was the same. He walked in the cool of the day with, with, with Adam and with Eve. In Leviticus, it says that he will make his dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. That's in Leviticus 26. God wants to be among his people. He wants to be among people on this planet not in some sweet by and by. He wants to be manifestly present amongst us now. And David somehow connected to this and said, I'm not going to give myself any rest or any sleep until I've made a place that God can come and rest and dwell and be permanently present. And that's the church. That's why in Ephesians 2 it talks about how apostles and prophets lay a foundation for the building of something in which God can be present. And that's it. this is not a theological idea. This is not a, oh, God is here because it says in the Bible. That's not an adequate representation of Scripture, of David's heart, or the actual experience that they had. Yes, we all know God is with us because he said he is, yeah? But do you know it? Can you feel him? Have you seen him? Have you heard him? That's different to a, a concept. Christianity was never meant to be a package of, 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 of precepts or of propositions that you agree with and therefore you're a Christian. It was always meant to be an, a, a relationship of dramatic encounters with a loving Heavenly Father, a resurrected Lord Jesus, and a passionate Holy Spirit. He's come to earth to connect, not to give you a few ideas that are radical. To come to earth to passionately invade your life so that you can feel Him, see Him, and know Him to the core of your being. One of the prophets says, His word is like fire in my bones. And sometimes we read these things and think, oh, it's just, it's just getting allegorical or metaphorical. It's getting, it's getting you know, beyond this. He's talking in a kind of hyperbolic way. He's talking just over the top there. The word, I have actually had an encounter with God where my bones burned. That's what must have been happening to the prophet. Have you ever had an encounter with God where your bones burned? It's quite scary but it's good. So David, David was coming to this project from a whole series of personal 
encounters, and, and he says things like this, one thing, so his personal objective, his main priority in life was this, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that that I can dwell in his house all the days of my life, and he didn't put a full stop there, he said, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, wow, he'd seen something that had captivated him. He'd seen the beauty of God. That's not a theological concept. You can know God is beautiful, but when you've seen that he's beautiful, you want to keep seeing. Andy, do you mean he saw with his physical eyes? Quite possibly. That's absolutely legitimate for all of us. He certainly had encounters, visionary encounters, which are open for every single believer. The baptism in the Spirit later in Acts chapter 2 says that when the Spirit comes on, the old and the young and the men and the women, they're all going to dream dreams and have visions. That's for everybody, not for special people. That's the basic currency of the kingdom. Dreams and visions, encounters with the living God. David goes on, Psalm 63, says, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And he didn't put a full stop there either. Because we can kind of get our head around that bit. We have a kind of inner longing. <coughs> because we're Christians, we have an inner longing for God. That's something that happens inside of you when you get born again. That, that desire for him, that, that hunger to know him, that hunger to see him is inside every one of you. And yet he goes further even than that. He says, my flesh faints for you. Andy, he's getting allegorical. No, he's getting real. He's so hungry for God. He's so, he's so earnest. When he encounters God, it affects his body. And he knows that he hasn't had that for a while. And he wants to re-engage and have another encounter with God. Because his flesh is crying out for the presence of God. Not just his emotions, not just his mind. His very flesh is craving presence. And when you've had him on your flesh, you know when he's not there and you want him back. Often the great heroes of faith that you read, some of the, the, the healing exploits people that you can read about, they knew, they often waited before they ministered till they physically felt the presence. They refused to go and minister. So um, I was reading about a guy the other day, and he saw, he saw thousands and thousands of people were healed, and the sign God gave him was he felt God's presence in one arm. And he wouldn't leave his room in prayer until he actually felt this vibration and tingling in his arm. When that happened, he went out and he prayed for everybody in the room, thousands of people in a night with that arm, and, and hundreds got healed. He waited for the physical presence of God on him before he ministered. Catherine Kuhlman would just refuse to go on stage because she'd just say, well, he's not here yet. The Holy Spirit's not here yet. And they'd be out front, you know, they'd be singing another song. Yes, yeah, she's coming soon. The great minister's coming soon, coming soon. But she'd walk out there, and she wouldn't even lay hands on people. People would get healed in the balcony just because the presence came. She had physical encounters. Yeah. 
My flesh longs for you. In Romans 8, it says that the Holy Spirit gives life to your mortal body. Your body needs the Holy Spirit to fill it, to have real life. (laughs) You actually get healthier and function better because you're full of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's the new health plan. Get drunk on the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Are you sick? Get filled. Your body needs presence. Your brain cells need his presence. (laughs) Your muscles need his presence. How did Samson be a strong dude? He didn't go to the gym every day. You you read kids' Bibles and have a picture of Samson. He's always this kind of really muscular and, you know, really hot-looking guy. The Bible never tells you that. The key to his strength is his hair, not his muscles. And the fact that the Spirit came on him. And suddenly, his physical body is energized so much so that he can pull a temple down with his bare hands. There's no gym, there's no, there's no eating supplement that can do that to you. There's a guy, his name's gone straight out of my head. Kenny, you've read his stuff as well. South Africa, John G. Lake. And he's ministering to sick people as a plague. And, and, and he volunteers to go and minister to them. So oh, he's incredibly infectious. And he says, it's not going to touch me. I'm not going to be affected. And he went and he never caught this plague. And, and, he's, and he got some of the saliva from one of the dead slave, uh, uh, victims mouth and put it on his hand and said put that under a microscope and under a microscope you could see the germs dying on his hand and he said they said what's going on he said it's because the spirit of God in me is giving life to my mortal body and no germ and no sickness can stand in its way oh come on (laughs) I read the story told you the story of the day of a a, a lass that we knew and and now has a, a a healing ministry, she's just a Facebook friend, you know, sitting on an airplane and the person next to her literally feels heat coming out of her body because the Holy Spirit is on her. And then she turns to him, prays for him, he gets healed. There's more than you've had. So David had seen this stuff. David had encountered the presence of God as a physical Reality as a manifest presence, as a tangible thing. He'd seen beauty. He'd encountered. I mean, he goes on, he says, I've looked for you in the sanctuary and I've beheld or seen your power and your glory. Remember, this is an Old Testament dude. This is when they were still killing sheep. David had realized he could access presence without all that stuff. Just by hungering and thirsting and worshipping, you could have an encounter where you saw the power and the glory of God. When Jesus died, he made a way so that everybody could have what this dude had. It's not like a few of us. This is for everybody. You all get to get intoxicated because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you 
and given you a clean conscience. Hey. Then he says, your steadfast love is better than life, so with singing lips my mouth will praise you. How did he know? It's because he encountered love. David had a love encounter. David had power encounters. David had glory encounters. David had beauty encounters with God so that he knew that God was powerful. He knew that God was beautiful. He knew that God was affecting his flesh. He knew that God was a God of love. He knew that God was good. Why? Because he encountered it in his life. Not as an idea, not as a, a biblical verse he could trot out in a difficult situation. He'd seen it, he'd felt it, he'd tasted it. How did he know? How did he know that in the presence was fullness of joy? Because he had it. He did it and the American a prayer meeting. It's like, oh, I need more of you, God. <laughs> no, God, I said I want more of you. <laughs> See, in a lot of us, if that happened, we would think that isn't, the prayer we prayed is not connected to the answer we're getting. Oh God, give me more of you. I just want more of you. Ha ha, what's that? God, no, no, what I said was, God, I want more of you. Ha ha, ha. No, God, you're not understanding me. I want more of you. Ha 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 ha. That is more of him. Get smart and get drunk. Go and just ask him, God, I want more of you. I dare you. And he might have double dare you. Absolutely. <laughs> See, we go, because we don't understand some things, we just think God's presence is a bit ethereal. Oh, God, I want more of you. Going doesn't think like God's answered our prayer. We've got to get over ourselves. David found that in his presence was fullness of joy. And that can't have been some deep mystical joy, otherwise how would he have known? Are you connecting to this? So like, in his presence is fullness of joy, so he goes into God's presence and he's like, I just had fullness of joy. Man, there's so much joy in the presence of God. It's awesome. I'm going to write a psalm all about it so that they can read it for generations to come because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And it goes something like... I mean, this joy is so full, it's wrecking me. I mean, I'm, I'm full right to, you know, it's coming out of my nose. I'm so full of joy here. Um, I'm having a revelation of joy. Right, I'm going to write that down because that was pretty amazing. <laughs> Everybody should have one of those at least twice a day. Hello, I love you. Okay, God. Just, just try hitting me once with this fullness of joy stuff. Just give me a sneaky one this morning. I promise I won't laugh, I'll just titter. 
David writes about all kinds of stuff. He talks about the rivers of delights that flow around God. Wow. How do you get in them? With you is the fountain of life. In, in your light we see light. From you flows a river of delights. What's that? Is that chocolate? Is it wine? Is it cheese? Is it fudge cake hot with oozy kind of chocolate syrup all over it and ice cream on the side? What's a river of delights? You know, is it a river of ice cream with chocolate and fudge and you're just kind of going on, oh, yes, Lord. Well, it's kind of like that. But it doesn't make you fat. Julian, when he was here, called it the yummy goodness of God. It just fattens your soul. You just kind of get enriched on the inside. You think, mm, 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 God, you are yummy. Mm, your rivers of delights are flowing right through me, and I want some more. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's too delighting. I am very delighted in my God right now. a sneaky smile might give it away. It looks like something. It flows out. It has an impact on your life, on your flesh, on your mind. He says he's satisfied with seeing the likeness of God. So here's David having all these crazy, wonderful experiences when he's worshipping God, he's seeing God, he's encountering His goodness, he's feeling His love, he's overflowing with joy, he's seeing His power, he's seeing His glory. All this is in the Psalms. You can look it up for yourself. This is a drunken, crazy presence of God maniac, David. In fact, there's somewhere I, could, I didn't have time to look at where he praises God seven times a day. You don't do that just out of discipline. You do it because it's fun. You do it because you want more. Whew. So he says, I'm going to build a house so God can live in it all the time and then everybody can get whacked. Everybody can see what I'm seeing. Everybody can taste what I'm tasting. Everybody can experience what I'm experiencing. Because God is so good. He is a river of delights. He is delightful. He is joyful. He's a good God. He's a happy being to be around. So I like hanging around with this powerful, glorious dude. So let's join. Let's make it. Let's throw a party. Let's build a place everybody can come. And no one needs bells and a rope. So he leaves the tabernacle somewhere else and lets, the, lets all the professional religious guys do all the sacrificing. And he builds another tabernacle with no curtains and no sacrifice and sticks the ark in the middle and says to all the professionals, just go sing. And they're like, sing? What about blood and stuff? What about ropes? You know, one of us a year, that's all. You're saying, let's stick all the singers in. Let's stick all the doorkeepers in. Let's stick all the priests in. How much rope do we have, guys? <laughs> you know, no paraphernalia. It says, go in, sing, and it'll be awesome. And they're like, you're joking. 
He's sharing what he's seeing and what he's experiencing. And they do, and they do it 24 hours a day. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, forgetting not all these benefits. I mean, David and these singers, they were writing really great songs because they were enjoying the presence. And nobody died, well, except on the journey. But that's another story. So we're about, what are we about as a church? We're about building a house for him. That's, that's it. We can go home now. We do that. We are the most seeker-sensitive church. The key is, which seeker are we sensitive to? I want to be sensitive to the one who's seeking to save the lost. The one who seeks those out who worship him in spirit and truth. He is the ultimate seeker. And we need to create an environment where he's happy to abide. Where he's happy to dwell. Where he's happy to be consistently and increasingly present. That's what David says. I'm not going to give myself any rest. He says, I build a place where God can come. I find a place for the Lord a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. That was his heart. That's what church is for. A place for God to dwell. <laughs> so if so you need organization, you need structures and you need stuff like that, but if it doesn't serve the goal, then you change it. The wineskin is subject to the wine. The 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 processes and the small groups and the, the way we do stuff is always going to have to be subject to what his presence dictates. We don't tell God to fit in the way we think it should be done. He, you know, In his house, he likes it done his way. And some of the things he likes are kind of surprising because he's less religious than we are. You know, religion is something that men think of. Rules and regulations and little habits and stuff. God's free. He's the freest being in existence. And he loves to do stuff in different ways, in creative ways. And it's important that we remain free and creative because that reflects the creator. He never thought when he created the universe, oh, I can't do that, it's not allowed. Yeah? He never had that thought. He never thought, oh, I don't have enough power to make an infinite universe, so I'll shrink it a little bit because I'm going to run out of cash. You never thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to make bees because they're not allowed to fly because it doesn't work with physics. <laughs> he says, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to make them. You see what I mean? He's got no constraints. He's not religious. <laughs> Man, he's got to have a sense of humor. He made us. <laughs> the passion of our heart is him. It's really easy. What are we here to do? Encounter God. What's your life all about? Encounter Jesus. Get intoxicated with Him. Get to the point where your flesh and your heart cry out for the living God. 
not just something you do on a Sunday or it's just the preoccupation of your passions you just need him you want him you like hanging out with him that's what we're here corporately to do is make a place it would be great if all around Glasgow said if you want to meet God he shows up with these guys every week you only got to walk in and you go wow somebody else is here yeah that's what this is about yeah more than more than us absolutely that would be absolutely brilliant how are you doing hmm hmm oh. that's only half the story and if you read as you read it you realize that David's working on making this place for God to dwell and as he makes it later on he says God decides that he's chosen it <laughs> I've chosen Zion to be my dwelling place he says I like, I like your style David and all these priestly dudes I, I choose this place I think this is a really smart idea I choose to dwell here Wow. David must have gone skipping down the boat. God said it's good and he's going to come to stay. Woohoo! How exciting. And then the fruit of his manifest presence is listed. So often we are going after the fruit. Oh, we're here to grow a big church. No, we're not. We're here to host the presence of God. We're here to save the lost. Well, yeah, but we're first of all here to host the presence of God. We're here to raise lots of money for the kingdom. No, we're not. We're here to host the presence of God. We're here to influence the city. Well, hopefully, but first of all, we're here to host the presence of God. And you're like, well, when are we going to do stuff? Well, when he shows up, everything changes. That's what this psalm says. When he shows up, God starts to decide things. Whoa, that's quite scary. Says, we're all here going, oh God, will you come? Oh God, we love your presence. We love to worship you. It's so delightful. Oh, we love it when you come because we do not. We love worship. Just this, you just can feel like, oh, when I came back from holiday and we just stood here last week, like, oh, this is amazing. Thank you, God. Oh, I love your presence. Thanks that you're still here in my church. Yes. And then this morning they're praying, oh, I don't look an idiot, but oh, this is so good. So we do all that stuff so that, that, that we kind of say, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then he says, you're on. <laughs> I like it. I'm here. And I'm going to do some stuff now. Watch me. And you can join in. I want you to join in my stuff, all right? So the first thing he says to David is, this is awesome. I'm going to make, this is so good, I want this to last on earth for a long time. So David, if you can pass this on to your sons, I create a dynasty for you right here and now. I promise that if they get what you've got, then I'm going to do this for them for many, 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 many generations. It creates a dynasty. You know, most churches have a shelf life of about 20 to 30 years. 
that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? Most movements kind of can, that's a bit rubbish. But if we host the presence of God, it's got legs, it's got, it's got momentum. It can go from generation, if we all keep that heart, it can go from generation to generation. And David actually did manage to pass it on, one generation at least, into Solomon's era. But it's out, the core of it isn't how do we pass the baton, the core is we just worship him. We've got to focus on the right thing. And then he goes on and he says, yeah, I'm going to establish a, a dynasty for you. And then, then he says that the poor and the hungry are going to get fed. That's the fruit of God showing up. Is hungry people get fed. Needy people get their needs met. Because when God shows up, he shows up with his yummy goodness and he does stuff. And he provokes us to do stuff because we're joining in with his stuff. And it's all about him. So he says the poor and needy, they're going to get fed fed that that there's a a clothing with salvation. People are going to get saved. People who are already saved are going to get more saved. People who aren't saved at all are going to get totally saved. Why? Because God showed up and says, yeah, I like this. Here we go. Here's all the poor are going to get fed. All All the needs are going to get met. I'm going to establish a dynasty for you. People are going to get saved. Why is this? Because we host the presence. Then he says, I'm going to give you a horn, David. Oh, join in the band. I'm going to raise a horn for David. Well, is it a bugle? Is it a trumpet? No, it's authority. It's, it's picture language for a kingship or authority. Well, how are we going to influence this city? How, how are we going to change the atmosphere in this place? How are we going to change the culture? We need authority. We need influence. How does influence come? Because we host the presence. And then God raises up our significance. I'm going to say that again. That was good. As we host the presence, he raises our significance. And finally he says, and all your enemies are going to be so defeated, they are ashamed. So isn't that, well, that's the fruit of David's passion. I only want you, God, and I want to make a house for you. God says, love what you're doing. Now watch me. Needs are going to be met. I'm going to establish a dynasty. Salvation is going to be multiplied. You're going to have authority and influence in your city. You're going to have victory over your enemies. You're going to crush them so bad they're going to be ashamed. The needs you have, the sicknesses you have, the attacks that you endure, the things that come against you are going to be squished. Why? Because we suddenly got amazing. Well, yeah, we got amazing in the presence. We delighted in his presence. We hungered for his presence. We made a house for his presence. We got rid of our silly fears about what it might be like to encounter God. What this tells you is there isn't much that you need that more of God won't fix. Oh God, pay my bills. Maybe you should pray, God, give me more of you and the bills get paid. Interesting thought. How do we reach the poor and the broken and the needy in this city? Get more of God got to be the first place. 
I just need more of you. There's such brokenness in this place. There's such need in this place. It could swallow up a hundred hope churches. But with God filling us, we can swallow a thousand needs whole. Ah, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Just invite him to into your life right now. Respond to him. Respond to He's going to be, I know he's just saying to you, come on. He's not condemning you. He's not scolding you. He's just stirring your thirst. Express, however thirsty you are, express it to him. I need more of this. Get personal with God. God is good, and He loves you. If you invite Him more into your life, it's not going to get scarier. It's going to get better. But He doesn't kind of barge His way in. Actually, you have more control of God than you realize. Oh, well, God will. If God wants to do it, He'll do it. Whatever you want to do, God, and, and if you don't want to, obviously if nothing happens, it's because you don't want to do it. That isn't true. That's unbiblical. In the same crowd, you can have a hundred people touching Jesus and one person touching him and gets healed. Does he not want to touch them? Yeah. Do they want to be touched? Maybe, maybe not. What do you want from him? Well, I'll just wait for him to come. Ask him to come. Well, let him do whatever he wants to do. No, ask him for what you need. But God's sovereign, yes he is, but he's so sovereign that he's included you in the process and he wants you to invite him, ask him, thirst for him. All those things touch his heart. This is a relationship. You're not a robot and he's not your controller with a sort of remote control thing. He wants to break in on you so much. So, so much. You know, he's given us the power to quench the Holy Spirit. The spirit that brooded over creation spirit that was with God in creation the powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you can switch him off my goodness what power he's given to us whoa or you can fan the flame you can be sitting there going or or whatever you want to say So what, what are we about this year? We're about making a place where we can have even, even more of God so that that can just flow out and a city can be changed, people can be changed. What's my prayer for this church? That all of us have multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit 